This is Melissa, and it is the 29th of October, 2023, and I hope that you are all doing well. At the end of the redux that I put up last week, this was one where Alan was speaking with Jackie Petru on her Sweet Liberty program, and she was talking about the artificiality of cities and hoping that people would take advantage, just get out of the city every once in a while so that they could begin to think. And Alan said, well, their time is running out because the agenda is there. It's ongoing very quickly now, and you will find that those who are dead already, that they are dead in the world. And the few who are truly awake are often caught up in the confusion. There are very few people who are truly awake who've broken through all the confusion that the agenda is going on right now. Seti, the Egyptian pharaoh Seti, was the one who put into effect the long-range plans to lobotomize the public, and that's why you have Siti. And as he was saying this, the music of the end of Jackie's show was coming on, and you could actually barely make out what Alan was saying. And I thought, what a pity that was, that he did not have time to go into more of what he was thinking, put into effect the long-range plans to lobotomize the public. And that's why you have City. I know that his, his thinking was that cities are artificial control mechanisms. There's the beehive. This, you know, comes all the way, you know, the ancient Greeks and earlier had the idea of controlling people by keeping them in cities. And one movie came into my head this week, the other day, thinking about this, and that was, it's a bloody violent movie that I quite like, that was co-written and directed by Mel Gibson, entitled Apocalypto. And you get the juxtaposition of the end of the Mayan Empire with a tribe in the rainforest, and the Mayans make raids so that they can capture tribesmen. They'll bring them in and put them into slavery to support their economic system. And then those that they need to sacrifice in their human sacrifice rituals will meet that end. So the story follows the the journey of a young man who is captured in a raid on his tribe and his eventual escape right at the you know last minute when he's about to be sacrificed. And the very end of the movie, I, I was always so struck by it because in just two minutes of screen time so much was conveyed you you see that the tribesman has returned he's found his woman who is pregnant and she has a, a little toddler and they're together they're on the cliff overlooking the beach and ships come in and they're Spanish conquistadors who anchor right there in the shallows and then they start offloading chess and they just watch this for a while from up on the cliff and they open up some of these chests and they're filled with 
treasure, you know, jewels and stuff, the, the kind of thing that a woman will look at and go, oh, ooh, shiny, sparkly, colorful, you know, I want. And she's conveying to her husband or her, her man that, um, that maybe they should seek refuge with the conquistadors. And he just puts his arm around her and leads her back into the jungle. And I was thinking, wise man, wise man. Because just because he escaped one system, the Mayan system, certainly didn't leave this, you know, young jungle dweller with the idea that another opposing or different system would be his savior. In the first few pages of the Alan Watts Cutting Through Volume 1, He's talking about the ancient priesthood system, and he said, Within these pages, I shall attempt to convey a glimpse of the almost total form of control with which an ancient religion, always international in scope, has spun its web. It has used the science of the mind and masses of truth, welded seamlessly together with fiction and lies. By its presentation, we are motivated to conclusions predetermined by our programmers. By forming our conclusions, we are led by the Pied Piper into the abyss, where our vision lost. We demand from this Piper solutions to our predicament. Few question the dilemma that every solution takes us further into the darkness. So in speaking about what's going on in the Middle East and religions and how they are used, you know, I've had a little bit of feedback and someone cautioned me not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and they made the point that God does not talk to people directly. He sends prophets to show people how to live, how to live in this world. And, you know, I, I wrote back that hopefully the important thing that, that we can do, that, that I want to do, is to encourage people to be able to freely communicate back and forth, to think outside the box, but not have to be, you know, I don't need to be wrong so that you're right, that that kind of a, hopefully a respect for one another's opinions. And I agree with him. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and Alan would not have either, but he also couldn't unsee what he saw or unlearn what he knew. In this talk that I am putting up today, it's a long one from January 31, 2021, and I am not going to read the poem because I can't even read the title safely. So I encourage you to visit the website, see the transcript, read the poem. It's a, it's a nearly four-hour talk. It's really good. He covers a lot of excellent things. Um, you know, that January 31, 2021, there was an awful lot going on. But you'll see why I chose to put that up this week, the, the little section that I am giving you. And in this, he was talking 
about religion again. And he said, we live in an awfully corrupt system and awfully corrupt times because it has no grounding anymore. And some would say indoctrination on right and wrong. We used to have right and wrong and everybody knew what basic right and wrong was. We knew it. You don't need a holy book to tell you. You really don't, unless you're psychopathic. We all know when we are doing wrong, you know. We might do it anyway, but we know it. So it's rather sad that we're living in a system that doesn't even have at least the grounding of the old moral principles of some of the older religions. Hmm. And I'm sure, oh my, I don't want to hear that. Oh, no, no, no. Because we've all been trained to hate the religions, absolutely hate them, despise them. Because even in areas of religion, there's groups at war with each other for dominance over the rest. And sometimes the dominant ones manage to indoctrinate you in school to hate the religion they want to remove so that they themselves can move in. That's how devious the world really is. Most people just see the superficial conflicts. You don't realize who's behind things. They really don't. They really never fathom out that there's different reasons and a lot more at stake than just lambasting some religion or another. So this is the the simplicity and complexity of Alan's thinking at the same time, if you will. He also said, it's, it's out there in talks, and he certainly said it to me, and I've heard him say it on the phone to other people and via email, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But he also knew how far along the agenda was, how religions were used. I'll just give you another example of something that I was thinking about. Well, earlier this year, a longtime listener had a kind of a break, if you will, with Alan's work. And they let me know, you know, how unhappy they were once they had come to this new idea. And they wrote, they said, was it really necessary for Alan to destroy people's world view in order to deprogram them? Now, what was going on was that this listener had decided that they, they, they were going to convert to Catholicism, and they felt, um, a, after a re-evaluation of Alan's talks and work, that he was bashing religion. But I, 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 in my mind, in my thinking, and I'll just say there's no, you know, when a person has made a decision, there's really no point in trying to get them to see another angle. They've had years to go through this material on their own. It's also interesting, I'll say, that, you know, Alan over the years heard from many people who said things, you know, I can remember one right now who said, I have recently converted to Catholicism because of listening to your talks, and I want to thank you. So you see, you know, Alan would say, people will say that they are looking for truth, but what they're really looking for is something that confirms or supports what they have already chosen to believe. So I find his talks and his thinking to be universal, 
and in no way did I ever feel that he was bashing religion. He did talk about all religions as um, control mechanisms, but you know, so there, there, there is the complexity. He was speaking to the individual, and the individual has to navigate the control system that they are born into and sort out for themselves what is meaningful. And at another point in the conversation with Jackie that I put up last week, he was, you know, just talking about, they were talking about pagans and that, you know, pagan beliefs and rituals weren't necessarily how they had been conveyed to us, you know, that people search for a connection to what they think of as their creator or something that is bigger than them or beyond them, and then they go about trying to find meaning for themselves. And that is the way of the individual. This week, I happened to check in on the Book of Hours offerings. I haven't had a lot of time to follow what anybody is putting out. But Julie from Book of Hours put out what I thought was a really interesting talk entitled, Let's Talk About Israel. And there were some things that I learned. I am going to link to this talk. It's not that long, and you can listen to it. But there were some things that I was not aware of. She does a lot of speculating. And she said, I'm speculating. This is a speculation. (laughs) But she based her speculations on some real things that happened, some of which I was not paying attention to, one of which was that um, India bought Israel's port at Haifa for about a billion dollars, and China is managing that port. So she had actually written uh, a blog on this back in December of 2020, and I'm going to put that up as well because it gives you a different way of thinking about what's going on there. And she makes a really good point that I think Alan certainly would have agreed with, which is, she said, this is business. This is empire building. This is business. So I will put that up for you. And um, then I was just listening to the different pieces of news that came out. The U.S. Secretary of State right now is a man by the name of Antony Blinken. And I've mentioned Antony Blinken before. He is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and he has spoken quite a few times at the Aspen Institute. Most recently, he spoke at the Aspen Institute Security Forum, and that is an important uh, forum that happens every year. And uh, let's see if I can find, I may not have that pulled up right now, but he, he spoke at the security forum, and I'll link to his talk there. But in some news coverage the other day, Antony Blinken said he was concerned about Al Jazeera, that is the uh, reporting, the the media group Al Jazeera. He was concerned that Al Jazeera's framing of the conflict 
could escalate tensions in the region. The report continued. According to the three attendees, Blinken said he gave toning down Al Jazeera coverage of the war in Gaza as an example of steps the Qatari government can take to do this. Blinken said he asked the Qataris to turn down the volume on Al Jazeera's coverage because it is full of anti-Israel incitement. Then in another um, news piece from this week, Blinken was talking, uh, I'm not sure if, I think this was just a White House briefing, but Secretary of State Blinken said, the message that I bring Israel is this, you may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never, ever have to. We will always be there by your side, Blinken said in Tel Aviv. Okay, so there he was, he was in Tel Aviv. We're delivering on our word, supplying ammunition and interceptors to replenish Israel's Iron Dome alongside other defense material. The first shipments of U.S. military support have already arrived in Israel and more is on the way. So who is Antony Blinken? He is an American lawyer and diplomat. Since January 26, 2021, he has served as the 71st United States Secretary of State. He previously served as Deputy National Secretary Advisor from 2013 to 2015 and Deputy Secretary of State from 2015 to 2017 under President Barack Obama. Blinken was previously National Security Advisor to then-Vice President Joe Biden from 2009 to 2013. During the Clinton administration, Blinken served in the State Department and in senior positions on the National Security Council from 1994 to 2001. He was a senior fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies from 2001 to 2002. He advocated for the 2003 invasion of Iraq while serving as the Democratic Staff Director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee from 2002 to 2008. He was a foreign policy advisor for Joe Biden's 2008 presidential campaign before advising the Obama-Biden presidential transition. From 2009 to 2013, Blinken served as Deputy Assistant to the President and National Security Advisor to the Vice President. During his tenure in the Obama administration, he helped craft U.S. policy on Afghanistan, Pakistan, and the nuclear program of Iran. These are all really important things, but what I hope that you're getting, you know, Council on Foreign Relations is a non-governmental private think tank that is hugely responsible for crafting the U.S. foreign policy. He is completely involved in the Aspen Institute, which I have covered at length. He's a longtime Washington player. But this next bit is also really important because at some point here, and this must have been, what, 2017, I'm not sure here, but we'll find out soon, he left the government service and moved into the private sector, co-founding West Exec Advisors, a consulting firm. 
Blinken returned to government, first as a foreign policy advisor to Biden's 2020 presidential campaign, and then as Biden's pick for Secretary of State. Now, what is West Exec Advisors, LLC? And this is a consulting firm founded in 2017 by Antony Blinken and it lists three or four other people, all former Obama administration officials. Now, here are some of the people. I'm just going to mention a couple who have worked there. Uh, One of them is David Cohen, David S. Cohen. David Samuel Cohen is an American attorney who has served as deputy director of the Central Intelligence Agency since January 20, 2021, previously holding that position from February 9, 2015 to January 20, 2017. So that's two stints there at the CIA. Uh, Someone else that is listed there as working for West Exec Advisors is Jen Psaki, who was a political advisor under Obama and Biden administrations, and she was the White House press secretary under Biden until May of 2022. What else does it say about West Exec? In an interview with The Intercept, Flournoy, one of the founders of the company, said that West Exec seeks to employ People recently coming out of government with current knowledge, expertise, contacts, networks. The firm and its partners avoid becoming registered lobbyists or foreign agents so that they can re-enter government service without delays. It does not disclose its clients whose names are restricted from disclosure by non-disclosure agreements. Okay, that is interesting. It is set up so that employees can freely leave government, go to work for them as um, advisors, consultants, and then go back into government. This wiki piece goes on to say, although WestExec does not disclose its list of clients, some have been reported. Its clients include Google's Jigsaw, Windward, an Israeli artificial intelligence firm, Shield AI, a drone surveillance company, and Fortune 100 types. Under a different financial disclosure that was filed by the Biden transition team, Secretary of State nominee Antony Blinken declared that clients of West Exec included investment giant Blackstone, Bank of America, Facebook, Uber, McKinsey & Company, the Japanese conglomerate SoftBank, the pharmaceutical company Gilead, the investment bank Lazard, Boeing, that's big in the military-industrial complex, AT&T, the Royal Bank of Canada, LinkedIn, and Sotheby's. Another consultant there disclosed that West Exec had worked with data mining company Palantir Technologies. Here is Gilead. Just a little bit of a a brief background on Gilead. 
It's an American biopharmaceutical company headquartered in Foster City, California, that focuses on researching and developing antiviral drugs used in the treatment of HIV/AIDS, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, influenza, and COVID-19, including letapasivir, sofosbuvir, and that's enough. It also developed something that. Allen covered extensively called Tamiflu. In June of 2020, Bloomberg reported that AstraZeneca PLC had made a preliminary approach to Gilead for a potential merger worth almost 240 billion. In the same month, the company announced it would acquire a 49.9% stake in privately held Pioneer Immunotherapeutics. For 275 million, Gilead sought and obtained orphan drug designation for remdesivir from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration on March 23, 2020. This designation is intended to encourage the development of drugs affecting fewer than 200,000 Americans by granting strengthened and extended legal monopoly rights to the manufacturer, along with waivers on taxes and government fees. Remdesivir became a candidate for treating COVID-19 at the time the status was granted. Fewer than 200,000 Americans had COVID-19, but numbers were climbing rapidly as the COVID-19 pandemic reached the U.S. And crossing the threshold soon was considered inevitable. Gilead retains 20-year remdesivir patents in more than 70 countries. In 2021, remdesivir. Generated more than 4.5 billion in annual revenues, and was Gilead's highest-selling product. So that is one of the companies that Anthony Blinken's West exec were advisors to, and another one is Palantir. I think that there are a couple of really good articles that I'll put up, so that I'll just save a little time here and let you look at those. One of them comes from OpenDemocracy.net. It said, "What you need to know about Palantir, the U.S. firm in line for a 480 million pound NHS deal." Former Donald Trump ally Peter Thiel's, and they call it a spy tech firm, is the front runner for the NHS's biggest ever contract. This was from 23 October 2023. I'll read just a little, few paragraphs of that, and then link it for you. Controversial U.S. spy tech firm Palantir is believed to be the front runner for the NHS's biggest ever contract. Despite warnings from data privacy campaigners, the 480 million pound contract to provide software joining up patient data between different NHS trusts is set to be announced imminently. The project, known as the Federated Data Platform, is NHS England's latest attempt to consolidate patient data into a centralized system. The deal has faced criticism from campaigners who argue. Palantir's lack of track record in healthcare and its murky links to U.S. and U.K. spy agencies, making it unfit to take on the job. Someone else who has 
covered Palantir is the uh, is Whitney Webb and Unlimited Hangout. There are several articles that you can find on Palantir on the site Unlimited Hangout. A recent one by a, a different writer other than Whitney is entitled How Peter Thiel's Linked Tech is Fueling the Ukraine War. As war, and this is uh, October 13, 2023, as war in Ukraine continues, controversial defense contractors and adjacent companies like Palantir, Anduril, and Clearview AI are taking advantage to develop and level up controversial AI-driven weapons systems and surveillance technologies. These organizations common link the support of the controversial yet ever more powerful Silicon Valley billionaire, Peter Thiel. Okay, so this is a quote from the CEO of Palantir, Alex Karp. A reluctance to grapple with the often grim reality of an ongoing geopolitical struggle for power poses its own danger. Our adversaries will not pause to indulge in theatrical debates about the merits of developing technologies with critical military and national security applications. They will proceed. This is an arms race of a different kind, and it has begun. These were the recent words of Palantir CEO Alex Karp, proclaiming in the New York Times that the world has entered a new era of warfare with the rapid acceleration of artificial intelligence technologies. Playing on the recent release of the Oppenheimer movie by comparing the dawn of AI with the development of the atomic bomb, Karp argued that the growing role of AI in weapons systems has become our Oppenheimer moment. In his op-ed, Karp states bluntly that this era is a new kind of arms race where inaction equals defeat, positing that a more intimate collaboration between the state and the technology sector and a closer alignment of vision between the two is required if the West is to maintain a long-term edge over its adversaries. Going back to this talk that I'm putting up an excerpt from, from January 31, 2021. Alan read a couple of articles. One of the interesting things, and, and I'm not sure that this will get into the segment that I'm going to put up, but he is talking about the, the takedown, all of the different attacks on your culture. And this would, he mentioned again, the documentary Oxiana, uh, the fentanyl of crisis, the opioid crisis that is worldwide. And so he was trying to show that from every angle, from all directions, we're under attack. And then he went on to read an article. There were a couple of things that that he read from. And one of them I'll try to source from Internet Archive, but this was originally published in the Globe and Mail, and it is behind a paywall, so I can't read the article for you right now. But this, again, this was what he read in January 31, 2021. Israeli military chief orders forces to step up preparations for possible offensive action against Iran. And then another article that he read is this. 
whether or not it ever made sense, the idea that Israel must remain out of central command was now clearly outdated. The U.S. Central Command, and this is um, other in other places, you might hear it referred to as CENTCOM. The U.S. Central Command has just announced, this was 2021, that its area of responsibility has been redrawn to include Israel. This action will strengthen the U.S. military posture in the Middle East and improve U.S.-Israel defense relations. We wrote a September 2019 report sponsored by Hudson Institute and the Maritime Policy and Strategy Research Center of the University of Haifa. Now, that, that's kind of interesting there because Haifa is the port that was sold by the Israelis to India. So, a 2019 report appears to have been a key source of the idea Our report noted that from the U.S. Central Command's inception, its area of responsibility was the greater Middle East, but did not include Israel. Israel was assigned to the U.S.-European Command. The rationale for the strategic gerrymander was concerned that Arab states might cooperate less if Central Command officers were in regular contact with Israelis. But the Middle East is changing Arab officials from Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and elsewhere now openly talk of Israel as a strategic partner in opposing Iranian aggression, Islamic State, and other Islamist extremist groups. Whether or not it ever made sense, the idea that Israel must remain out of central command was now clearly outdated. Our report therefore suggested redrawing the Central Command's area of responsibility to include Israel. The U.S. Departments of Defense and State, remember, Blinken is Department of State, divide the world into regions. The division schemes in the two departments are not the same. Such divisions are administratively necessary, but they create impediments to sound strategic thinking. Officials responsible for a particular region tend not to pay as much attention to events, concerns, perceptions, and capabilities outside that region. The U.S. combatant commands split Israel from the Arab states, just as they split Pakistan from India. Pakistan is within the Central Command, but India is within Indo-Pacific Command. This meant that no U.S. combatant command had the day-to-day responsibility to deal strategically with the Arab-Israeli conflict. Till today, none has that responsibility for the Pakistani-Indian conflict. Central Command has always tended to be focused on Arab equities rather than on Israel's, and more on Pakistan's than India's. Meanwhile, the Indo-Pacific Command is more solicitous of India, and so on. Central Command planners should take full advantage of America's military and intelligence relationships with Israel, It was neither necessary, advantageous, nor historically justified to exclude Israel from efforts by the Central Command to bolster its military plans through regional cooperation. I'm going to leave you with a few little bits from a piece that was written uh, in 1997 and published in the U.S. Army War College Quarterly, Parameters, Winter 2010, 
I actually thought this was written. Oh, yeah, it was. It was written in 97. It said the article was first published in the summer of 1997. This is Ralph Peters. So thinking about Palantir, thinking about information, if you go on to the Aspen security group and look at what this year's meeting discussed, a lot of it was AI tech. So um, here's Ralph Peters, Constant Conflict. We have entered an age of constant conflict. Information is at once our core commodity and the most destabilizing factor of our time. Until now, history has been a quest to acquire information. Today, the challenge lies in managing information. Those of us who can sort, digest, synthesize, and apply relevant knowledge soar professionally, financially, politically, militarily, and socially. We... The winners are a minority. For the world masses, devastated by information they cannot manage or effectively interpret, life is nasty, brutish, and short-circuited. The general pace of change is overwhelming, and information is both the motor and signifier of change. Those humans in every country and region who cannot understand the new world or who cannot profit from its uncertainties or who cannot reconcile themselves to its dynamics will become the violent enemies of their inadequate governments, of their more fortunate neighbors, and ultimately of the United States. We are entering a new American century in which we will become still wealthier, culturally more lethal, and increasingly powerful, we will excite hatreds without precedent. I'll post this for you. It's uh, something that you can read for yourself. I'm going to share two more paragraphs. As more and more human beings are overwhelmed by information or dispossessed by the effects of information-based technologies, there will be more violence Information victims will often see no other resort. As work becomes more cerebral, those who fail to find a place will respond by rejecting reason. We will see countries and continents divide between rich and poor in a reversal of the 20th century economic trends. Developing countries will not be able to depend on physical production industries because there will always be another country willing to work cheaper. The have-nots will hate and strive to attack the haves. And we in the United States will continue to be perceived as the ultimate haves. States will struggle for advantage or revenge as their societies boil. Beyond traditional crime, terrorism will be the most common form of violence. But transnational criminality, civil strife, secessions, border conflicts, and conventional wars will continue to plague the world, albeit with the lesser conflicts statistically dominant. In defense of its interests, its citizens, its allies, or its clients, the United States will be required to intervene in some of these contests. We will win militarily whenever we have the guts for it. There will be no peace at any given moment for the rest of our lifetimes, there will be multiple conflicts in mutating forms around the globe. Violent conflict will dominate the headlines, but cultural and economic struggles will be steadier and ultimately more decisive. The de facto role of the U.S. armed forces will be to keep the world safe for our economy 
and open to our cultural assault. To those ends, we will do a fair amount of killing. And I'm just going to put in there that when he says that, that the U.S. armed forces will keep the world safe for our economy, that's the ruling elite. That's this ancient international brotherhood down through time. That is their economy and their cultural assault. I ask that you support and continue to support what I am doing. It is necessary, and I thank you. And here is Alan. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 31st of January, 2021. And hope again, as always, that you're still hanging in there through the chaos and the madness and and the insane asylum that's become the planet. Not by chance, of course, but, but uh, by design <laughs> and by lots of planning, because we're living through the, the biggest, the truly the biggest psychodrama I think we've had in history. All wars, for instance, uh, have much more to do with the building up of wars they never told in the history books, at least in the, in the time. If, if you live through it at uh, that particular time in history, a hundred years later they'll tell you all the added things they didn't bother to tell the previous generation that went through it, of how things were built up and designed, and how countries wanted to get into wars and things like that for, for long-term goals and agendas, which they never tell the public at the time. They always tell you that it's something very simple. You know, a bad man over there rattled his saber and we rattled ours and the war started and nonsense like that. It takes years to plan wars. And again, uh, just like today, you have, you've always had what they call a deep state today. That's a modern terminology for it. For those that really manage the world on behalf of the masters, the dominant minority that, that basically own it. And uh, I've been through these talks many times in the past, dominant minorities and, and the helping group of professionals and scientific group that manages on behalf, they manage on on behalf of the dominant minority, as Aldous Huxley talked about, and others too. And so they tell you, as I say, the simple fairy stories for wars and causes of wars and so on, which really live through lives their whole life long, and, and, and all kinds of fairies and fights. It's like unemployment levels. So you, you, you've always been through it in every country. And statistics, you know, like FDR said, there are lies, damn lies, and then there are statistics. Because with statistics managing all kinds of problems, in order to explain the problems through deception, that they're fantastic for deceiving the public. They're roughly well done. And lots of cons involved. And again, as I see, you can, you can get degrees in areas like that to deal with, with statistics, etc. Because government uses departments of statistics all the time in all kinds of areas. You see, to tell you about the best healthcare system in the world, you've got the best financial system in the world, stats prove blah, blah, blah. And stats prove that unemployment's down this, you know, all, all this nonsense. As a juggle of the unemployed onto welfare rules, then on, onto to retrading rules and temporary retrading rules, and then back onto the door again. This has been going on your whole life long. You, you live through such deception. Uh, and again, if it wasn't for all the massive entertainment we get, people would have more time to, to think and, and complain about it. 
Uh, so it's a great thing uh, that you get. The more the more you're deceived, in fact, and the, the worse things become, the more entertainment you get, very cheap entertainment. That's not by chance. Hmm. Especially when you see that the billions of dollars that the governments have used in our tax money to support mainstream media that used to be called newspapers at one time. Uh, and now they have their sites instead of having the actual paper itself. It's the same company, same corporations, owned by the same moguls, which, which are really maintained by the government. Because no one reads them anymore, except through crisis. And the, the COVID, uh, the COVID uh, agenda is awfully good for creating crisis and folk dive into the papers to try to find out what, uh, what's going on, you see. And they're deceived even more, naturally, because they're all on board with the same one agenda. And so it doesn't matter what you look up, you'll, you'll find all kinds of authorships, but you'll see the same handouts given to the press. They're just, just the same, exactly the same ones, uh, handed out by governments and it's printed straight into newspapers, or the WHO for that matter. Or one of the many organizations that uh, is owned and funded by Bill Gates as an example. Because, uh, that, that's how you buy, you buy news, you, you create it. You create it by by owning the companies that put it out. It's quite simple, isn't it? And uh, but the public again they lose their, their sensibilities through fear and a terror campaign, a campaign of terror upon the people through media propaganda and you, by by using behavioural insights teams and psychologists and the sage units. They already gave handouts to the journalists last year. Remember which were printed in the newspapers, in some newspapers, by the journalists who were given these handouts, by the team that was to advise them on how to put stories across to the public, and they were told to ex- exaggerate the stories, you know, give bad news, etc., in order to create anxiety, to raise anxiety within the population so that the people would comply. It's not astonishing. Your, your tax money funds this kind of stuff. Do you think it just suddenly stopped? It didn't stop, it's got worse. And that's what you're living through. It's a big agenda because the whole world is to be changed by this agenda. They couldn't get the Martians from space to invade us to bring us all together like, you know, Ronald Reagan used to quip about sometimes in his speeches. And uh, they used to give you, again, statistics of how many times he mentioned that in his speeches. If only we're invaded from an outside force, you know. But all have to come together to fight. The whole world would be in peace, unified to fight something else rather than fight each other. And you had the same thing with Mackenzie King in Canada, who said it in the 1940s. Uh, same exact same. I had it, I got it here somewhere. It's actually a newspaper clip from the time that someone sent me. It's not a copy of this uh, actual actual one. When you said the same, this has been an old agenda. You understand. And over and over, you have the same thing cropping up. If only, if only, if only. Then you had the movies, like the day the earth stood still and the marshing or whoever it was came from outer space to see who did they want to see scientists of the United Nations, the UN, the, the ones who were supposed to be there to create world government, you see, that was the idea of it. And, um, and lots more like that too since then, in fact, on the same theme. They give up all your sovereignty and join together under a global structure which was set up by the same structure, like the, the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs. So it's, it's also part of the CFR branch. They're, they're, they belong to the, the, the main one in Britain. 
and all the other names that have changed over the years, to include the one in Canada, which had changed again not too long ago. As soon as you get to know their names, <laughs> they keep changing them, eh? Like Will of the Wisps, it's the same organisations. And, and also the ones for the Pacific region as well, and the Far Eastern Pacific region, all lumped together for trading blocks. They gave us the free trade agreements, they set up China, they set up the European Union. The members of the CFR openly boasted about drafting up all the legislation and working feverishly towards it for the unification of Europe under a single governmental system. That was the whole plan of it. They wanted to do the same thing in Canada, starting with the Free Trade Agreement and the NAFTA Agreement and this USMCA agreement today. It's all the same agreement with the intention of uh, unification with a singular type parliamentary system. And of course, that, that's what held up before, that the, the U.S. still wanted a, its own government, really. And uh, then talk about Fortress America. Well, would have to come together under a singular structure to, for the defense of the whole of the continent because of 9-11. That's what they tried then, Fortress America. And that kind of flopped as well because the U.S. still had a strong governmental sovereignty system. At least the people had. And that's waning now. So that'll bring its head up again shortly. To, to push the same agenda now that the U.S. appears to be weakened, you see. And I've said before, the U.S. really doesn't have too much to do now except to finish up a few countries on the list that was published in the 90s by the PNAC group and republished again a few times since then. And they want all those countries taken out, naturally. So it's going to be interesting to watch it all happen. And, uh, and once your usefulness is over, believe you me, you will be left. You'll be wrung out like a sponge and left with a massive debt and you'll fall backwards. And I've no doubt at all that's what, that's what the, the COVID agenda is going to accomplish as well because you're supposedly, even though money's all a joke, it's beyond a joke and it's a farce. Eh? Special, magical people are brought in. They can go a different way of counting than anybody else to manage the U.S. Federal Reserve and every other country's central banking system. And you really think you're going to pay off all this mass, this trillions and trillions of dollars that doesn't even exist, but they just put blips in the screen and that's put into your account and that's it for the bank, for the country. But you really think you're going to pay all this back? And it's not expected you could ever pay it back, even if it's possible. You could never do it, actually. Uh, they'll never allow it to happen, because debt is a form of control. You understand that much, right? That's what really its main purpose is. Enriching those that lend it is only secondary, but power comes from lending the cash out in the first place, being the boss. Because you now have the power as, as governments come to you to borrow more and more and more, you have the power to sink them overnight if they don't comply with your demands. And it's always social change demands that they want. So again, you're, you're living through a fiction. We can only go through this fictional existence with the incredible indoctrination we get, starting with your parents who were indoctrinated before you. And who think that's the whole, the, 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 everything's exists the way it is because it's natural and real, etc. They really believe that, most of them. And I also have had personal experience uh, walking up against invisible walls that shouldn't be there in, the, in your imaginary existence. But the walls appear very quickly, they jump up like, like gates coming, like big bars coming up from the ground. As soon as you, you, you break one little taboo, 
uh, knowingly or unknowingly, and suddenly you can't go any further in, in that direction, basically. You'll get warned off at the very least. And that's how the world really works. You have no idea across the planet how many millions of people are employed to observe you and monitor you and manipulate you. Every country's got banks and banks and banks of these behavioral insights teams, characters with with their behavioral degrees and sociology and psychology and all for social change, you see. Manipulated change, desirable change, always for the... For the, they'll always put under the guise of the, for the public good, right? And you, but you still vote and you think you're, it's just incredible how well it works, you know? Really, isn't it? They, they people keep voting and voting and voting for the same system that obviously has leaders that don't run for election. The leaders decide who's gonna get in. And they just swap them around every so often. We'll give you these guys this time and these guys the next time and so on and so on. But the same main agendas continue. And right now, of course, you see with Biden getting back in and and uh, at least being the puppet for a while before Kamala takes over, because that's the whole point of bringing him in. She could never have gone in her own anyway. Neither could he actually, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter who they put in front of you. And but they're on board now, but the, and they'll obey their masters. These supposed leaders, they'll obey their masters and get the wars all going. You see it all getting ramped up already for the, the continuation of where they kind of didn't leave off, but at least they, they, they quieted it down a little bit, you know, across uh, Syria and Iran and different countries. But they're, they're right on track again, they're bang on target as we continue the same same agenda. And if Trump had, if it was his job, if he'd been told, look, this is, this is your job, Donald, you know, make sure these wars continue. And if he did that, he'd, be, he'd have been fine. But the, 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 the elite masters themselves had him play a different role, you see, because you see, they want a massive change. And you've got to first disillusion the people, win them over to follow somebody, then disillusion them completely. So you're disillusioned with the system and you will put up with a more totalitarian authoritarian system. And that's what this is all about right now. You, you can't have COVID coming out, as I said last year, into this year. You can't have it coming out uh, with really uh, massive exaggerated uh, death counts and so on, when everybody's been lumped in with it across the planet. And so many top scientists and medical professionals and all coming out, giving completely contrary facts of what's observed in hospitals by themselves and in laboratories, etc. You can't have that all happening and being totally ignored with, uh, and the complete destruction of everyone's economy. That's the big one, right? Which is a wartime scenario. You destroy the economy of your enemy and you flatten them and you've got them on their knees. Huh? And then you rebuild again, the economy rebuilding back better. This is the whole agenda for the 21st century. The whole century getting rammed through quickly. Not just 2015 part and 2030 part and so on, 2045 part. This is much, much more getting rammed through quickly under a wartime scenario using COVID as the front. And so they're, they're not going to let go and, and back off because of it. They're not going to do it. I said that last year. But you can't have all that happening at the same time as you were having Black Lives Matter and Antifa going through the, the U.S. cities. But their leaders, well-trained leaders, burning places down and looting and all that. You can't have that all happening in the same year. 
Huh? Doesn't happen like that. It really doesn't. And nothing is allowed to happen without the master's consent at the top. In fact, even with by their order, in fact, doesn't happen otherwise. Believe you me, you're not living in a system that the sporadic things just happen by that. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. The top intelligence leaders, you call them leaders of their, they're almost like CEOs of companies, really, that's essentially what they are. In the US and Britain and other countries, all came out. Israel too, they all came out at 9-11 and they said it's impossible, it's impossible to pull off what happened on 9-11 without leaving an incredible electronic trail through chat and all the rest of it, all the techniques are used to. And everything is monitored, has been monitored completely even before they signed the deal in 1995. To monitor the Americas, everybody in the Americas is completely monitored by back doors into their phones. That meant even landline phones and everything else, and fax machines and photocopier. Everything was equipped with back doors into them, etc. But they all said, all these leaders said, you know, you, you, they couldn't have planned all this, chatted amongst themselves and got away without every intelligence agency at the top really knowing all about it. You can't, it cannot be done. It isn't just the chat that they get. They get, there's indications of movements of certain things. By movements, if, a, if a, even five people come together from another country and then they start training to be pilots in your country, yeah? And then those same pilots end up taking off the same day. That, that stuff's all monitored. You wouldn't believe how incredibly well monitored we all are. So, as I say, uh, it's, that's what happened then. Well, it was the same thing with COVID and everything else. Everything is so incredibly, it's even better monitored now, which is part of the whole idea. They couldn't bring the whole, the whole, 100% surveillance on society, even with the Patriot Act, etc., that to made the, that gave the permission of all agencies to spy upon patriotic Americans. <laughs> I guess what they call the Patriot Act, right? But now he's the second half of it, as I've said so many times before, is this is the, the full, the full way now. So now you, it's not just terrorism, it's always, you could be a potential spreader. So therefore you be classed as a terrorist, you know. You might spread something. Is they inject people with a, an experimental. It's not really a vaccine. It's definitely a, a biochemical agent, a biochemical agent, basically designed to alter the people who get it, at least their genetic makeup in certain areas and so on. So yeah, you you, you believe in me? You you can't make history. Uh, this this is not the the nineteenth or, or you know or the eighteenth century where you could mount an attack on, say, a country with a few ships, sail into a harbour and blow up a whole bunch of the enemy's ships resting at the harbour and get away with it, do it in the middle of the night industry. This is not, today, everything is so surveilled, everything. And the equipment is, is, is fantastic, not just the satellites too. The rays of, of, of uh, fail-safe systems to monitor if something sneaks through, another system grabs it. So it, it's just it's pretty well perfect. So we're living through an agenda. An agenda is to, to go into complete sustainability. They said it in the climate meeting, 
in 2019. But no one was listening to them. Everybody had lost interest in their nonsense. And that's how folk were describing, well, it's just this nonsense again and, and lost interest. But, but everything, they, they'd pinned everything, their whole agenda for implementing laws for reduced consumption, for the elimination of energy sources, that's gas, oil, everything. Because all these things are, are, are conducive to keeping folk alive and, and when folk are alive and healthy and they got work and all that, they, can, they tend to hitch up and get married and have children. Eh? You can't have that. That's the enemy, you see, is, is this, this breeding idea. You see, all you folk breeding willy-nilly, they say. They mentioned at the meeting quite a few times, and then the final again in 2019, that they recycled the idea of getting permits for the decide who should get married, who would be allowed to get married and have children. You better take these things seriously, and you didn't, you see. So they said we'd have to do something more drastic because people weren't listening. So bingo, COVID comes out before the, the end of that year. Yeah. <laughs> Coincidence again. You don't get these coincidences. You really don't. It probably took, I would say, quite a few years to plan, absolutely, definitely plan, uh, and not just practice the tabletop exercises starting with 2010, the Rockefeller Foundation and, and the Johns Hopkins, all the way up to CLADEX and, and Event 201 and so on. It took years to plan it, but, but years also to, to find out how to get the structure ready for it, all the structure to manage it. That means also profession, batteries and batteries of professionals every country. And I would talk about professional psychologists and behaviorists, manipulators of the people's minds, who also generally work with, with psych units for military department of defense. They, they do use the, they're on the color revolutions. They put out the false information that gets everybody fighting with everybody else and spying on each other in different countries and color revolutions. You've watched it happen here recently. But also it's the same units that deal with making up, um, all the propaganda to do with COVID and how it could, how it terrified the public. Terror is what they do. And that's what most of these units are for, from creating terror in other nations. They're getting used, these professionals are getting used to create terror within your country. You're paying for all. And you still will go and vote, and still you'll still say you're free. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that folk can't catch on to this and get fed up with it at the very least. And I keep going, and I'll keep voting again, you know. There you will. Uh, you, you can't help most people because their indoctrination has been so perfect, really. And there is such a thing as perfect indoctrination. And it does work with most people. I remember years ago reading about weaponry. And it was all military documentation, but it was to do with weaponry of all kinds. And bio-warfare too was mentioned in it. But weaponry is designed generally, generally to take out the most people in a, a, one foul swoop, one fell swoop. Is, I always say foul, I think foul is a good way of expressing it, but they say foul. Because it is foul, isn't it? And it's underhanded and it's generally a surprise type, stealth type strike. Especially the quiet weapons, you know, or silent weapons for quiet wars. 
because then, you, then the perpetrators who's ever released a bioweapon as an example, and knowingly they won't kill everybody. Generally, there's nothing really to put out this so far that we know of that can kill everybody. There's always people with different genetic makeups, so somehow maybe, or different gene types, or pairs of particular genes occasionally, they make them resistant to something naturally. But as long as they get the majority of the people crippled, disabled, or dead, they're quite happy with it. That's what actually pretty well that sums up what they say in their manuals. That's what they're designed to do. And that's what the military is for. You know, there's many ways to cripple people or kill them or maim them, maim them. So you've got to really go into it and, and understand what's going on. So bioweaponry is a big part of their arsenal. It has been for a long time. And um, we knew there was something happening maybe 10, 15 years ago. We knew when they closed down certain old established bioweapon testing facility bases with other labs and so on, such as Plum Island off, in, in, off New York. And they sold it off, apparently, the whole island. I don't know what happened there. It was auctioned off. But they moved. They mentioned the fact they were building all these level, level th- uh, three, bio-level three and four labs across the states, inside the states proper instead. And everybody kind of thought, what on earth would you do that for? Because the whole idea, if you get a release, uh, an accidental release, then you, you would keep it as far away from the mainland as possible. But no, the... They wanted to have them on the mainland. Uh, this is just amazing stuff that was going on. But everybody forgets so quickly. It's almost like preparation for what was to come. Because when you when you look again at 9-11, and I've read the articles that came out of the meetings and hearings after 9-11, and the talks by Rumsfeld and, and Cheney and all the rest of them uh, that were involved in so-called running the country at the time, where they actually said that uh, everything was on the table to get, go after enemies, including the use of bio, uh, bioweapons, that that was an acceptable part of the arsenal that they would be on the table to be used if necessary. Well, don't you think for a second that other nations that, that you set your sights on aren't doing exactly the same kind of scenarios and uh, they, they don't have all their bioweapons facilities? Of course they do, you know. And so it came to China, I mean, China, in their own writings, uh, and speeches by some of their own generals have said the same thing, that they would, they would use bioweaponry on the U.S. if need be. One of the generals actually said, you know, again, the article was released quite recently, but he, he said he was giving a speech in front of the troops, and, or to the troops, and he said that uh, it would probably have to be used if your enemy is tactically superior because they're more advanced and more, more copious equipment. And therefore it's a cheaper way to go for a, a country that doesn't have the same ability to attack, you know, for, for amount of aircraft or whatever it happens to be, the timer missiles, you name it, they would definitely use bioweaponry. And we know again that every country's been involved in what they call race-specific bioweapons. They're meant to target genetic types through racial differences or racial genotypes. Uh, so that, yeah, every country out there has, has been big in that level too. So you have no idea. Again, as most folk, no, they, they don't. They can tell you all about the who's sleeping with who in Hollywood, you know. 
and who was in this movie and this TV drama. But this is your life. You understand that you're supposed to know about things that are really happening that matter. But most folk haven't got a clue. They've gone through their lives like, like children. And that's exactly what they said in their writings in their 40s and 50s. We'll create people who are perpetual children. And you have them today. It's not their fault. They didn't know. They're being trained and indoctrinated like this. Because again, they trust their government, see? These wonderful systems. Now I don't care what kind of government you would have. Not that you could change it, because you do have a dominant minority. Hmm? But supposing just wishful th- and wishful thinking here that you could change it, really. Like the anarchists think they can just change something by blowing things up and destroying. And one, as I mentioned before, it's in a book now of a woman in their country who was was raised as an anarchist, really. and she she came to the same conclusion. She became very unpopular amongst her her own group because she mentioned we're all we are taught to do and all we think of is blowing things up and destroying. We never give a thought about rebuilding anything, and that's the truth of it. And personally, I think it wouldn't matter as humans are humans. Whoever takes over and rebuilds it and gives you. I don't care how, how well-intentioned they are and honest they are at the start. And no time I tell, before a generation is out, they're, they're corrupt again. They're getting their own children into positions of power and, and uh, good-paying jobs for life over the public. And, and, and the next generation, they're just, their noses are up in the air and, uh, and they're ordering you around instead of just serving you. That's human nature. It's rather sad, you know, rather sad. But the folk never catch on to They always think we keep voting these Why would you vote in lying psychopaths Time and time again Who again are just actors They're just actors folks They are They can't run anything To save themselves The bureaucrats The lifelong Bureaucrats, they, 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 their whole life is in employment in certain branches of government and civil service. They know what their departments do. And when politicians are appointed over them as ministers of this, they rely upon the ones who know what they're talking about to draft up their speeches because they haven't got a clue how it runs. How, how is some petty politician suddenly get put in, in charge of, of the Department of Health or something? They haven't got a clue. They're just fronts, you know. And they are psychopaths. The, the, danger is, the danger with psychopaths, really, is that they have no real conscience. They really don't. They feel anxiety up when the, where they themselves are threatened in some way or another. And their, their cushy existence. But they have no problem serving masters. They'll, they'll demand horrific things be done to the public. They have no problem with that at all. I don't care what country it is, by the way. That's what psychopaths do. Psychopaths have been well studied, and regimes have been well studied. And the psychopaths that run totalitarian regimes worship the, 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 the rank above themselves, worship them. And they're brutal to the ones just beneath them. This is, it's, it's, all, it's like being kicked down the steps. You kick, someone kicks you, it's higher than you, and then you kick the one below you. And that's the psychopath that runs in bureaucracy and in governmental positions. 
and all their speeches are written for them. You'll never really know what they're really like, except through body language and their expressions and so on. But uh, their, their speeches are written for them, and they do what they're told and get well paid for it. Why do you think they're so well paid for, 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 for doing nothing? Why do you think that? Why do you think in the U.S. they give, they allow them to, in the Congress, to use the, the tips they get, or the government's going to invest so much in this country over there, in this particular area, or water development, or some kind of um, industry, and set up, meaning that the taxpayers in the U.S. are going to fund it into existence, like public-private enterprise, the public pays for it uh, through their tax money, and the corporations end up with the profits, you know, they end up owning it. So they get the insider trading deals and they're allowed to do it in the US. I remember when they changed it, when I think it was Bush was in or Obama, I can't remember. But they actually changed it and allowed them to, to invest and, and on the tips they got from inside, insider trade. The, our government's going to, we're going to make sure, our, we all vote for it, mind you, that the government's going to back this little industry or this big industry enterprise and country so and so. So they pass it all, they push it forward, yeah, 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 and then they, they, they have investments in it. It's just incredible. It really is. Because once, once any big government invests in anything at all, even if they start losing money, and even if it's, if it's scrapped after five years because there's so much corruption involved, they've made a fortune. Uh, in the five years, because the government keeps throwing money in, into black holes when there's massive corruption involved and they're behind it. Any other, any other corporation that had corruption in the first year would fall flat on its face. Government doesn't want, will never admit it's wrong, so it just keeps plugging it, plugging the holes with uh, more cash. We live in an awfully corrupt system. In awfully corrupt times. Because it has no grounding anymore. And some would say indoctrination, on right and wrong. We used to have right and wrong. And everybody knew what right and basic right and wrong was. We knew it. You don't need a, a, a holy book to tell you. You really don't. Unless you are a psychopath. We all know when we're doing wrong. You know? We might do it anyway, but we, we know it. You know? So it's, uh, it's, it's rather sad that we're living in a system that doesn't even have at least the grounding of the old moral principles of some of the older religions. And I'm saying, oh my, I don't want you to hear that. Because no. they've all been trained to hate their religions, absolutely hate them, despise them. Because even in, in areas of religion, there's, there's, there's groups at war with each other for dominance over the rest. And sometimes the dominant ones manage to, to indoctrinate you in school to hate the religion they want to remove so they themselves can move in. That's, that's how devious the world really is. Most people just see the superficial conflicts. They don't realize what's behind things. They really don't. They really never, they never, never fathom out that, that there's different reasons and, and, and a lot more at stake than just lambasting some religion or other. It's all culture wars. It's to do with culture wars. And if you've got a dominant culture in the public, never mind the dominant minority, but the dominant culture, and you want to supplant and take it over and dominate it, you've got to destroy it. 
again, it's getting like back to color revolutions. You get all these same techniques used by your Department of Defenses in other countries across the world. Destroy the culture is very important. To, to, and most, most of the Western wars upon the West have been internal and cultural wars. The folk had no clue. They were taught it was progress. Any enemy can teach you what progress is because they're awfully good with words, you know. And that's, there's departments. Oh, man, ah, it's, it's boring, really, but to me it is annoying because it's, I've read it so often and I've talked about it so often too. But you have whole departments that screwed, they're just like the ones in the movie industry where they go over a script. And when they get a set in a, in a room or something, like that, all set up, there's nothing that isn't debated that you're going to see in that room. From a book on top of a piano or, and the title of the book to, to what they're wearing and what, everything has to be exactly right for the psychological impact that stays with you and makes an impression on you. So everything is closely debated and discussed with teams. And they've got to have continuity of the script. You can't have the person, uh, or a few of them, in a room, right? And someone shoves somebody and, and a vase gets knocked over and smashes. And the next scene uh, is they're all kind of making up and shaking hands. The vase is intact again. You know, you can't have that. So you've got continuity. It must blend in with what you saw before. This is how it's all, it's all done in the movie industry and television. But that's how it's supposed to be done in real life too, you see. They, they try to make sure that things flow. And when they don't flow properly, you get people asking questions. Oh, wait a minute, I thought you said so. And that's what you've got all over the map right now. On this massive exercise of COVID, where nothing's—you've even had the main perpetrators. I call it perpetrators, <laughs> the wizards, eh? the, the COVID wizards, who said themselves, oh, "America shouldn't really worry about it." Last, you know, a year ago, and uh, these are the heads. The heads now, and don't wear masks. They told you, and then they says, "Oh, wear a mask." Then they mandate you must wear a mask, and you understand. And you must lock down and lose all your jobs forever. Hmm? From the same mouths. What kind of science is this when the facts change like so fluidly? Yeah? It's not, it's not science. Of course it isn't. And that's what you have. They don't have continuity of script, you see. Now they're trying to get on them on board with the same stories across the planet. They're pretty well verbatim from one country to the next. The, the, the examples are given you probably made up, but it makes no difference as long as you'll get the same script. Because most folk don't know the reading script, managed script. And every time you, you've got death rates really immediately following vaccinations. Immediately, in the newspapers, they'll, say, they'll, they'll get handouts, and, and these characters are quite happy to print the handouts from the WHO or the CDC, or, and they'll, but they've got, they, don't, they don't believe it's anything to do with the vaccination. Hmm? So it's a big agenda, and that's what we live through. Most folk will believe it no matter what happens, even if, if horrible things happen. I mean, really, if it really speeds up, folk are really are, are dropping after after getting experimental vaccines. Never mind the long-term effects for those who survive the short-term. 
that this is the big agenda. And you will get famine because they're, they're closing down the world's farm, farming industry. As Bill Gates buys more and more farmland, he's one of the biggest landowners now. Okay, that's just coincidence. They didn't foresee this coming, for goodness sake, eh? The man who has patents on, on different veggie burgers and things. Even with careful manipulation of figures eh? and statistics again. To try and get up, to come up with more deaths than, than average, say, or for, for average for last year <laughs> to the present time. And they're having a hard time struggling trying to find that. And even if you have a few thousand extra deaths, they've already admitted that thousands are dying because they can't get in the hospital for other treatments and so on. Maybe that's the reason that you've got higher death rates. There's always, you've got to look at everything, folks. And that is happening. There's folk dying at home without painkillers. That was, that was, that did come into the media some months ago without even painkillers, eh? They can't get to see doctors, some of them. But lots are dying at home. They could go on and on and on, eh, with this, this agenda. The coordination across the world has been overwhelming in the pre-planning and the swearing in to follow this agenda to the bitter end altogether like a, a gang of thieves or crooks or or worse, eh? There's no doubt on that. And as it, as it be, get, gets worse, knowing what's going to happen, they'll make it happen worse. They'll, they'll force it faster and faster. That's what they'll do before they'll ever back off. They can't back off now. They can't do it. Eventually, there has to be some, some trial for different perpetrators involved is the corruption of so many people involved in, in the scams that have been going on would come out to light to the public what we're seeing and this is like how genocides happen too is that the worse it gets the more they club together the crooks club together they've got to club together and they would, if it came to it, they would, if there's so much to expose about what's been happening, who's been behind so many parts of it, they, they would rather annihilate you, all of you, than ever admit it. And do the right thing, and stop before they go too far. And they will give orders to the military to move in. They will give the orders. Well, you already see the police in some countries going way overboard and acting the very way that we used to. See, this is the whole thing with the Cold War being over. Under the Cold War, and even before the Cold War, countries used to always point at some other countries, their, their enemy, whether it was a Cold War or not. And, and uh, say, those people, they wouldn't believe how they treat their people, you know. And they got police states. And the police are brutal, and they swagger around and beat the people up and torture them. When that's gone, 
you see, you forget very quickly, isn't it? See, you think, you think they waited this long before they hit you with COVID and then gave the police authority to see them swaggering around and attacking, attacking people, protesting. It depends who you are protesting, doesn't it? That happened in Toronto recently too. And you literally see a swarm of cops diving on a, one person. So a swarm of them. What happened to law and order? What happened to the rules here? And and what happens when some folk can protest and other folks can't, depending on a few other things, of course. It's rather obvious, obvious isn't it? And the cops, unfortunately, are, are too keen to get beaten somebody up because they can't beat other groups up. So they beat this group up in, in Toronto recently who are protesting against the lockdowns, right? Which is their right, supposedly. <laughs> but you see these cops literally like a swarm. This is the sort of stuff you used to see in Latin American dictatorships. Exactly the same. Not like, but exactly like that. <laughs> you see? Exactly like that. And it's going to get worse. And people really do expect to be told by the authorities everything. Like Brzezinski said, surely the public will be unable to reason for themselves. They'll expect the media, because they've been trained to think it's authoritative, you see. Not private business. They'll expect the media to do their reasoning for them. Not just their thinking, but their reasoning for them. And that's happened. Very effectively. Like they said at the, with the, the group at Oxford initially and Neil Ferguson in England, the guy who runs the world by computer models and things, all imaginary stuff, you know, science fiction really. But he says, well, we're so, we're just amazed. He says, we didn't think we could use the same China system of authoritarian rule on the public of the West and in Britain. And there were, Pleasantly surprised at how fast the people just buckled under and obeyed them. <laughs> wow. There you go. And they celebrated that fact, these, these folk here. So that's your reality. Uh, your reality is given to you, and it is really, it has been on your whole life long. And folk will fight you when they say, no, I make my own decisions for myself. I, I decide and I humor them. Okay, okay, yeah. It's like that old, old joke about uh, the, the guy from U.S. goes over to Tibet, because eh? he is a wise man over there, a real top guru. And he goes over there and he meets the old man in the mountain and, and the old man's sitting there with a beard down to his knees, just staring out there. And... He says, he says, Master, Master, I've come all this way to, to study under you. And I throw myself on my hands and feet and, and my face in front of you. Uh, if you'll just take me on as a student and so on. And the old guy contemplates him and says, it won't be easy, son. You, know, you have to deprive yourself of so much that a young man desires. You know. He said, don't worry, Master, I'm going to negate everything and just follow the way, you see. So sure enough, he's told to go up the, up the mountain there and, and stay there for two years straight, just thinking and staring at a rock. And he does that, and, and he almost freezes to death. And now, oh, when the snow comes, and 
And he's like a skeleton and he comes back down and again and he says, Master, Master, I've done it all now. And the master says, did you, did you have visions? He says, yeah, I had visions. Yeah, I did. Cause it's, you hallucinate when you're starving. And, uh, he says, go back up again. Do, say, after the third time up the mountain, he comes back down again. And he's confident this time. He says, master, I've found, I've found the answer to everything. And then the old man says, you have, eh? He says, yes, master, I've found that. I've come to, I've realized you were right the whole along. I, I had to stay on my own and, and contemplate and meditate. And, and it came to me. And he says to the master, but master, tell me, just, just to verify it. He says, what is the meaning of, the whole meaning of life and everything? And the master says, go through life and cause no harm, he says. Never argue with anybody and keep the peace. And the young guy blows up. That's not the answer, he says. The answer is the river. And the old man says, you're right, my son. You're right. And that's how it really is, isn't it? For most people. When you think you've got the answer on something. No matter how you've been led to it. And you won't even realize most of the time you're being led to your answer. You've been definitely led to your conclusions by the media. And by everything you watch on television. Everything on television. Even your culture and what you dress like as a, a growing up as a teenager and so on. The dances you danced, the, the songs you sang, thinking they were yours and they weren't. All, all laid out for you, run by people way above politicians. Batteries of them. Planning, implementing the future, watching it. Doing studies to see how well it was uh, working, how to tweak it, make it work even better with the next generation and so on. Do you think that when the communists talked about dividing and conquering, especially with the generations, they would separate everything from everything else, starting with the generations. They just happened themselves, that youth suddenly became rebellious. Do you think that just, just happened, just coincidentally? <laughs> Remember, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Go into the website, make a note of all the other sites I have. These are my official sites. And you'll find out how to donate to me. And you can buy books and discs if you want. But you can donate. They're definitely welcome. Because the, the, the books and the, the discs are going to be a little while yet because of this lockdown here at the moment. But they will get out eventually, one way or another. So cuttingthreemedies.com and remember you can use PayPal or you can send cash even, MoneyGram and a personal check. It's fine too. Some people just send cash. And that'll help me just keep uh, taking it along as we go through the biggest change uh, your life is ever going to experience. This is it. This is the big one. This is your true world war. I hope you understand. It's a war on the world. Yeah. So send a few bucks my way because it's very important.
And it's a battle. It's a battle as I watch all these, a myriad of bloggers just come out of nowhere with all the cash behind them and big money and so on. And I pretty well know where they come from, but there's no point talking about it. No point, really. And they'll use your talks and they'll use your material, and they must do that, and then they'll spin it off, which is counterintelligence. That's how counterintelligence works, folks. Very effective. Your governments are employing thousands of people because they've done this across the world in color revolutions. They put bloggers out, thousands of them, in nations, finance them. They appear to be like the people, saying the right things. They get a pulse on the on what's popular topics. They, they, they repeat it. Then, then they lead it because if the whole team is behind one person, you know. So they become popular very quickly. Then they spin it off. Counterintelligence. And that counters the folk who, who stuck to the original facts and stories. They're, they're, they're washed away with, uh, with the saboteur, as you might call it. This isn't, I'm not uh, supposing this, by the way, this is fact. Yeah. But the, the articles in the paper said that Bill and Hillary had given many talks, and they give you little clips from talks they'd given where they despised the military. Is it the military or the people that, that comprise the military that they hate? I wonder. And, and again, the, 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 this guy Kissinger, this strange character Kissinger, who said, you know, openly, I mean, honestly from his, I'm sure he's very honest about it, he was saying that the military are just, they're comprised of dumb, stupid animals who are used for foreign policy. That's, these are his words. So they don't mind using those dumb, stupid animals for foreign policy. Then they're going to use them again in the coming, this coming wars until it's all finished. Then that's you, you're done for. And unfortunately it's true, we keep breeding the next bunch of troops and saying goodbye to your children <laughs> for folk who literally call them dumb, stupid animals. If you can't be a... a Annoyed by that, at least, and at least annoyed, you know, or in, at least a little bit indignant about that. Well, it's tough luck, I guess. Maybe everything that they say about you is true, you know. Hmm? What can you say? If you've lost indignation, what do you have left? Sad but true. Sad but true. They really despise the ordinary people, and especially the groups that they pull the military from. But they're so happy to use them all. It reminds me of, of Rome. See, ancient Rome did the same thing. Britain did it, of course, uh, with this empire, and it would employ and, and create armies within countries that had conquered or occupied from the youth, you know, and gave them smart uniforms in all the countries and Discipline and scrub them clean until they looked, you know, and give some self-respect and suddenly they're all important. Then they would beat up their own people if need be or turn on them if the paycheck was big enough, you know. They never give them little medals, no. To make them feel better about it all. It's been done all over the planet, over and over and over. Ancient Rome did it, as I say. Uh, Greeks did it at one point too, though the, the Greeks really had a huge I mean, Greece isn't just one big nation. It's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of islands as well. Some of them pretty big and big populations. So you're, you're dealing with 
empires, as I say, one form or another, either one single big country or at least one base of a nation, and then the rest of them are all satrapies to an extent, which they call dominions. And eventually all empires get drained because they, they, they feed off of the countries that they conquer. Uh, the money that comes back and the resources that comes back from these countries doesn't go to the people who, who are the armies. It goes to the folk who own the countries. And when they get so greedy, they collapse from within and the elite move out generally to the next place and use, they use a fresh population. <laughs> For the same kind of thing, it comes over and over, leaving behind it these drained sponges that are squeezed dry, destitute, broken, and often invaded by barbarians, as they call it, you know, because nature abhors a vacuum, as they say. But you can also send troops from the countries you've then moved into to invade, and they call them barbarians, and then do away with all the people that (laughs) served you well for however long. Britain did the same thing, you know. And then then the U.S. has been the the so-called policeman of the world. It's a title. It's a cover to an extent, too, because it's against everything that people think the U.S. was meant to be. It was supposed to stay out of foreign entanglements, foreign wars, and also treaties. You see, treaties is how they draw you into these wars. Well, the, the U.S. has done nothing but treaties since the time of uh, before World War One onwards, at least. And the, the, that's an excuse to drag yourself into the wars that you want, at least on, from on, uh, from the viewpoint of those who own America. And they're about to do a whole bunch of other wars now to finish off the big famous list I've mentioned so many times that has to be completed. And whatever you think of Trump, if it's just another front man or whatever, makes no difference. The fact is um, there was a respite almost for a while, not a complete break away from the usual wars, but it gave them time to regroup and formulate their plans to finish off these wars which uh, are all, you know, they're, they're part, but they've got Syria to finish off. That may, I'm surprised it's still able to function. If the mercenary armies paid by the West to, to, to hammer them for years. And they weren't boots on the ground. That was a big thing that uh, was demanded at one point. Boots on the ground to finish them off. And that's where they're going to go now. And Iran as well, you know. As you well know, no, there are no threats, to, none of them are threats to the US, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. And because they're going to phase out uh, the petrochemical internal combustion engine, as they say, they won't really need uh, the, all this foreign oil, will they? So it's, it's for other reasons, as you know. And again, they need uh, the dumb, stupid, um, uh, Animals, you know, that Kissinger talked about to fill the uniforms and go off and finish all that off, you see. And then they can pull the rug out from the US and collapse it from within. All, all fits together as like, like, you know, chess pieces on the board. The only ones who can't see what's happening are the ones on the board, you see. 
the ones above it see what's going on and it's step by step. Facebook is developing a tool to help advertisers avoid bad news, eh? You want to avoid bad news. That's how it starts, eh? So it's those advertisers. You don't want your, your ad being in something that's a downer, right? So it's, um, the chaotic nature of the modern news cycle and digital advertising landscape has made it nearly impossible for brands to run ads against quality content in an automated fashion without encountering bad content. See? So the controls will help advertisers choose which types of stories they want, they want to bypass in Facebook's news feeds. Then they give examples. Yes, but some fear these types of advertising controls will inadvertently push marketers away from placing ads around news, especially during breaking news. Hmm? So it's a form of filter to put in too. And Facebook has committed to developing better industry-wide solutions for how it moderates its content to an industry coalition. Here's the thing. An industry coalition, the link is here too, called the Global Alliance for Responsible Media. It's called GARM. G-A-R-M, GARM. And it says what they're saying, providing advertisers topics inclusive tools, inclusion tools, to control the content that has appeared next to is incredibly important, blah, 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 blah. So they'll be able to basically, in a coalition, basically, it's going to cut people out of the picture altogether. I guess in a form of censorship, obviously, isn't it? Yeah. Deciding what gets seen, what doesn't get seen, surely it is. <laughs> you wait and see. But mind they're already doing that anyway. How long before Washington's demonization of Russia and China and Iran leads to war? Eh? Well, let's just guess. They're already talking about it in all the other countries. Israeli military chief orders forces to step up preparations for possible offensive action against Iran. Uh, and then, uh, why does U.S. Central Command, this is from um, Jerusalem Post, now include Israel? Where not ever made sense, the idea that Israel must remain out of Central Command was now clearly outdated. Now they're in Central Command. And it also means there will be more U.S. military posture in the Middle East and improve U.S.-Israeli defense relations. So there's definitely wars on the on the horizon. I would say, judging from all the all the war talk and all the enthusiasm for war talk, as they get back on on course with their big agenda, you know, for for the list, you know, the list that was published in the U.S. years ago. So Central Command planners should take full advantage of America's military and intelligence relationship with Israel. It was neither necessary advantageous nor historically justified to exclude Israel from efforts by the Central Command to bolster its military plans through regional cooperation. So, it's, yeah, war is definitely on the rise, I'm sure, you know, at least the threat of war. You've got to always have boogeymen, mind you, and, and uh, they've, been, they've been missing boogeymen for a while now. Anyway, take care of yourselves and say you got to get your little groups together. Just, just a few people, a few friends, for your, your all for your survival's sake. Because this, this, if this goes on, it'll be the long term. They want it to be for years here, until you're you're living in a regulated morning till nights daily system, ultra regulated, post consumerist society. Not healthy. It won't be healthy. 
for all their talk of wonderful synthetic foods, it's not going to be healthy, folks. So you're going to get it, even that, eventually, if they have their way. This is a big agenda, long in the planning, and spoken about characters who were more bold in their uh, what they were really after years ago when they published their own books. And they do not love you, believe you me. This is not for you because they love you. They rather despise you. These elitists, these eugenicists, they despise you folks. Keep that in mind. And keep it in mind, as I say, definitely get set up. Don't wait for government to hand out things out to you. You'll need to be able to depend on at least one fit person in a little group that can go out and do groceries, something like that, because things will get worse. Restrictions on travel. Uh, you might not be allowed to travel more than once, once a week eventually for something. And that'll be once every two weeks, every three weeks to, to a month. So you have to rotate each other to help each other out. And what you can, you know, and you understand where it's all going. That's what you've got to start doing now. Terrible times ahead. And they're crying gleefully at the top of what they're, they're, how wonderful all this is and all the changes they can make that are on the, the drawing board. Like, it's just wonderful. So take care of yourselves and send me a few bucks, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, the website, you see how to do it. From myself, Alan Watchman here of Canada, it's good night. And by the way, my temperature last night was, uh, minus 25 centigrade, which is about minus 12 Fahrenheit. And it's been that way every night for the last few nights now, maybe a week, and it's not going to let up. Because of global warming, you understand. So, for myself, I'll walk around here at Canada as good nights. May your God or your gods go with you.